Um, we're, on a, we're on a theme at the moment called Life Rhythms, as you have seen um, on the screen. And uh, those of you who have been with us the last few weeks, um, the quick update, basically, before we get into this morning's, is that we really feel like the Lord is calling us to respond to the moment that we're in as a church, both in context of the broader culture, what we've been living through over the last two years, and how we hopefully come out the other end of that as people who have used that time to be refined and changed and transformed. But we also feel quite specifically that we need to respond, um, given this incredible huge gift that we were given with our building. And uh, we've been feeling as a leadership almost that it calls for uh, a response in our own spirits um, to that and to make maybe changes where we need to in order to come into alignment with the plans and purposes of God that he is bringing us into. It feels like as the Lord is leading us into a bigger physical space, that he wants us to become bigger in ourselves, to be enlarged in our own hearts and lives, to become people that are able to steward the blessing of God. You know, I just think it's worth saying, you know, sometimes, maybe I said this last week, sorry, now that we do two services, I can't remember what I said in what service, but if I did say it, let me repeat it, but I just really want to re-emphasize the fact that, you know, sometimes you lift books and you read books and you hear of these great miracle stories and you hear of these wonderful stories of provision or you, you, you watch something on YouTube and you send it round and you think, wouldn't that be amazing if that happened to us? We've just had a miracle. We, we have just had a stunning act of provision that doesn't normally happen in the normal set of circumstances. And it's important that we just, I don't think we are, but it's important that we just really kind of receive that with all the celebration that it's due. This is, this is our story. This is part of our own unfolding story as a people of God in Portadown, that God has moved mountains to provide thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds to allow us to move into a space that he wants us to have, right? That, that, is, that is a miracle. That is, that is our story and something that we have to own. But it's also something that we have to tend to take responsibility for, isn't it? There's not just a celebration with it. There's almost a, like a holy fear of the Lord with it. It's like, wow, God, you would really entrust us with that? <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I'm glad you did, but, you know, wow. You know, so, so there's, there's a sense in which we respond to that. You know, we respond to that and we start to, you know, position ourselves to be, because God has entrusted us with something. And so this series, which is really, in some ways, really simple, and in some ways, really practical, it's really, really important because it begins that work in us that I think the Lord is calling us to in order to align our lives into His. And the way we want to approach this theme of life rhythms, I guess our, our, our worry is that it simply becomes an, another kind of life plan or another kind of New Year's resolution or a new, new kind of like do this for a little while and your life will enhance. That, that kind of a sort of pop sort of spirituality thing that like just fizzles. We, we really want it to be focused on Jesus. It, we want to do it out of an atmosphere of worship. We want to get our eyes on the beauty and the magnificence, again, of who Jesus is. Get fresh revelation of how wonderful he is. And in getting fresh revelation of how, who he is and what he calls us to, that we begin to get changed and transformed because he, by very nature of worshiping him, we become invited into the process of becoming like him. Okay, and uh, and that's what we really want want the inspiration to be not 
me or anybody else up here trying to preach and persuade you and make something sound good, but actually as we all get our eyes on Jesus, because we all can, you know, we all with unveiled faces beholding us in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being changed and transformed. That, that's what we want for you. And so this scripture on the screen, we've been using quite a bit in Romans chapter 8 in the message. I'm going to read it again because it just really frames why we're doing this. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. Jesus stands first in the line of humanity. So Jesus is restoring all humanity. And so he is the kind of archetypal human being. He is the, the exemplar human being. He, he shows us not just how to get saved to live life beyond this earth. He shows us how to live life now. How, how to become the human beings that we were originally intended to be. And so that's where it finishes. We see the original intent and intent and intended shape of our lives there in him. Right? So when we look at Jesus, we start to see something of the original shape of our lives. Because we're born, though, in sin, sin distorts that image of our lives. Sin distorts the true picture of what our lives are supposed to be, the true way that we were to fulfill our purpose. But Jesus comes to die on the cross to save us from our sins and to bring us into relationship with him so that we can be restored into the original and intended shape of our lives. And so we're really trying to promote the truth that Jesus, contrary to what you've thought, is Jesus was the most alive human being that ever lived on the earth. He, he, was the, he was the person that most flourished in life. He would have been the most fun to have been around. He would have been the most life-given to be around. You would have felt better about yourself if you'd have been around Jesus. Yes, you would have been challenged and provoked and all of those things, but ultimately you would become the person that you were born to be. And you would reflect in your own unique way the glory that God placed in you from the beginning of your creation. And so what we're also saying is as much as Jesus was that, it didn't just happen. It wasn't just like he just pulled a God kind of trump card out and said, because I'm God, I'm this kind of person. He was, he was fully human. And so he actually had certain ways of doing life that helped him live into the reality of what he knew. So, what, so he, had, he had principles and disciplines and practices and rhythms. Jesus himself and we looked at some of these last week. He had these in his life himself. And I guess what we're trying to say is God has always, and this, has been, this is revealed in Jesus, God has always had this perfect balance, if you like, between the spirit and between order or structure. So think back to the very beginning of creation. It said that the spirit hovered over the face of the deep. So you have this kind of free, creative spirit. It sounds amazing, but, and, and it was and what did that spirit do? It created rhythm. It created order. It created structure, but beautiful stuff. So um, Genesis 1 goes like, and things like uh, it was morning and it was evening the first day and God saw that it was good. And it was morning and it was evening the second day and God saw that it was good. And there was morning and there was evening. And so it goes on. There was like a rhythm and a lilt and, a, and, a, and an order. There was, um, there was night and day. There was land and sea. There was sun and there was moon. There was male and there was female. See what I'm trying to say? The Spirit created order for the world to be within. And, and Jesus lived that kind of life. And sometimes we think those things like contradict one another. But if they're of the Spirit, 
then, then they'll, they'll come together in a life of freedom that looks like an ordered, disciplined life. Does that make sense? So there's a guy called J.K. Chesterton. He was an academic, and he, he, he came to Christianity, but he said this, and I love this. The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Isn't that cool? I love that. I love it anyway, right? So in other words, I realized there was some kind of order and structure, but it wasn't like for order and structure's sake. It was so that we could be alive in the Spirit. It's so that the wildness of the kingdom of God in the life of His Spirit could come upon us and we could live lives that, that really helped us flourish. And so the way we've been trying to like break that down for you is in this quadrant that's on the screen and look at four areas of Jesus' life and then think about how we could apply that to our lives. And so last week we looked at... Um, we looked at the whole uh, area of Jesus' life in prayer and, and, and abiding and talked about how he came into sonship. And I, I just put up mine. So we're filling out that side. So that, that was some of my, my, my plans for the year ahead and how I want to try and you know, live a life of abiding and a life of prayer. And, um, and, and we're going to move on today to look at the family and relationships one. So the core question that we're looking at this morning is, what core relationships do you need in this season of life to support you in your journey into Christ-likeness? If God has a great and glorious design for your life, how key are the relationships around you to helping you become that? And, and we want to get practical. I read a quote this week that really struck me in, in line with this theme. It says, most people spend most of their life, most people spend lots of time planning for a holiday and very little time planning for a life. Which is kind of true, isn't it? We spend lots of time planning the holiday, but never really ordering our lives. And um, and I think if we just learn to have a little bit of fun with this, but to get practical about it, it can help us as we grow in relationship with Jesus. And so as we look at this theme of family and relationships, which is really key to Jesus, we're going to uh, give some time at the end to see how that can affect us. Just keeping an eye on my time here. You, you, you said it's about time. Yeah. Jesus, um, Jesus loved relationship. Jesus loved friendship. Maybe uh, he states this most explicitly in John chapter 15. Look at this well-known, wonderful verse. Jesus speaking says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what is master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I don't know how you see Jesus, how you, you understand Jesus, but if he walked in here today and he wanted to preach a sermon, he'd probably start with something like this. I'm not calling you servants. I've called you friends. Because everything I've heard from the Father, I'm making it known to you. I'm inviting, I'm inviting you in. These are, these are stunning words. But in a sense, these words that describe Jesus relating to his disciples as friends, it shouldn't necessarily be a surprise to us if we know a little bit more about God. Um, if we were to widen the scope right out, the lens right out this morning, and think about who God is fundamentally, now obviously that was mostly revealed in Jesus, but if we were just to think about who God is, then it wouldn't surprise us that when Jesus came, he talked about friendship. Because God is not God does or God can be family or God likes family, but God is family. God is relationship. God is community. His very nature is defined by the relationship that he exists within. 
And this is where what we call the doctrine of the Trinity, which sounds very grand, but we're not going to like do a deep dive into the doctrine of the Trinity today. You'll be glad to hear. But it is a stunning, it is a stunning teaching. It is a stunning doctrine, so key to the life of the church. Because we believe, we're Trinitarian in our thinking that way as a church, we believe in the Father, the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. I don't think you can read the Bible and not believe in those things, right? But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what, we, what, we, what the doctrine of the Trinity ta- speaks to is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are so in love, if I could say it, with one another. They, they operate in mutual submission to one another. They love and serve and honor one another in such a way, mysteriously, that they are one. So there are three distinct personalities but they're so intertwined and interconnected and uh, entwined in their love for one another that they're one. That is who God is. God is himself is family. So, 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 so the atheist um, um, argument of the church is, how can God be love before there was anyone to love? If you're saying that God is love and you're saying that God created the world, but that God also was eternal, then how could God be love before there was anyone to love? It's a a kind of fair enough logical question. But the Christian answer to that is God is love because God is love in and of himself. He's always existed within that loving relationship. That word up on the top right of the screen is a Greek word, and it's the word perichoresis. Let me try and explain what it is. Um, In the second or third century after Jesus had went back to heaven and the early church started to grow and develop, the early church were trying to work out, and the church fathers, how do we help explain the, 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 the doctrine of the Trinity? Because there was all sorts of heresies going around. Was Jesus half God? Was he a bit of God? Was, you know, was, was, is, is it all, are they all one? Are there, are there three modes of the same? There's all this kind of stuff going on for another day, right? And there's all kinds of heresies about how to understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they, and they came up with the doctrine of the Trinity. I'll not get into the technicalities of that today. But I will share a little picture with you that they came up with, which is really, really helpful. And the word perichoresis, peri means circle, around in the Greek. And chorosis is where we get our word choreography from in, in, in the Greek, right? So it's dance. So it's basically a circle of, of dance, a circle of, of love. And so the idea is, right, and get this, this is, this, is, this is beautiful, this is stunning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this eternal dance of love, mutual self-giving love, perfect honoring love. In a sense, the love that they have flows in and out of one another without any of them ever being diminished, but only serving and loving one another. And if you you think about the Gospels, you see a wee bit of this in Jesus. You know, the Son glorifies the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son, and on it goes. But this is this picture of how God works. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in this eternal dance of joy. And then the even better bit is when God creates the world, He's essentially, and mankind, in his own image, he's inviting, he's inviting us into the dance. He's inviting us to enjoy this mutual loving dance of love and, and self-giving and sacrificial love. So, like, the thing about it is, the, the reality of this is, you can put your head, I can lie down in my bed tonight, right? There might be stuff going on in my life that's difficult and tough and all of that, and not to minimize that, but I can put my head in the pillow tonight. And think about and meditate as I go to sleep on the fact that because of what Jesus has done for me, I have been brought in to the eternal dance of the Trinity. And my whole life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Like, I, I, I can do that. That's a reality for me tonight or today. And it is for you too. It's not amazing. Like, it's not just like, I want you nearly to hit somebody and tell them, yeah, that's amazing, right? But don't, um, but you know, I just, I, I want us to try and grasp the beauty of who God is and, and what God is and what he has invited us into, right? So God is relationship. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us then, right? That when Jesus came on the earth, it shouldn't be a surprise that when Jesus came to the earth that, that, he, that he said things like this, I have called you friends. Because <laughs> it, it sh- he was reflecting who God is and what God is all about. And that's what we want to build from this morning. God is a, a relational being. And that is why God, for God, loneliness, on the other hand, is an anti-God state. Loneliness is an awful thing. Because God created humankind in his own image, right? So it explains why every single human being that's ever existed desires, craves even, relationship. And it explains why so many problems happen in our world when children and kids are starved of that relationship or of that affection or of that connection. Because we were created in the image of a God who is relationship to be in relationship. And so um, God wants to draw us into friendship. He said at the very beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. So I'll make a companion for him, okay? Um, But the thing about it is, one of the direct results of sin is a fragmentation of relationship. Sin is not just expressed in the bad things we do. It is that. But it's expressed in the fact that our relationships are broken and fractured. Division. That's why the enemy is all over that kind of stuff. But God wants to redeem that, and Jesus came to redeem that. But even before Jesus came, God had already started a plan to redeem the world. And how was God going to redeem the world? God was going to redeem the world through a family. So Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless who else? Your family. So that through your family, the whole world could come to know the rule and reign of God. And that was a reflection of God's heart. So God is drawing his people are drawing the world into family. That's, that's key to who, and fundamental to how we understand the church. And so we see that through the children of Israel, Abraham's descendants, how God created to form them into a family that, that loved one another. That's what the, the, the um, Ten Commandments and the law, and all that was, what that was all about, reflecting God in the form of a family that give him glory, a holy nation, royal priesthood. We see it reflected in relationships in the Old Testament like Ruth and Naomi. It's beautiful friendship. We see it reflected in David and Jonathan. These are the kind of, kind of meaningful friendships and relationships that God wants to change the world through. But ultimately, what we also learn is as we read through the Old Testament that mankind, like most things on their own, wasn't very good at it. Ultimately, couldn't do it on their own. And Jesus had to come to show us how to be family, how to be a reflection of him on the earth and to make a way for us to come in it. And so Jesus came into this unfolding story that I've just tried to describe really quickly. And he, he came into it in and through the means of relationship. Jesus came as somebody's son. Jesus came as somebody's brother. Jesus came as somebody's neighbor. 
Jesus came in relationship with the people who came into his dad's little carpentry business and he had relationship and friendship. Jesus lived in the world in the same way that we do. And Jesus called 12 people then when he started his ministry to come and be with him. Jesus realized that the way he was going to change the world was in partnership and in friendship with other people. There was something, of course, that Jesus could do that only Jesus could do. But he was always in the process of inviting us into that with them. So some people would say, well, could Jesus not have just done it all on his own? And there's no real point in even trying to answer that question because it's just the wrong question. Because he couldn't not, not do it with other people because of the fact that, as I've described, he is community and he is family. There was only one mediator between God and man, of course. There's only something that Jesus himself could do as as the, you know, the, the, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world that we sung about this morning. But he's constantly inviting us in that process to join him in his life and in his death so that we can show the world. And so Jesus, in the next slide, I think it says, that his relationship was with the Father, as we looked at last week, but his par- and his partnership with his friends. This was the method for the kingdom coming, abiding in the Father and partnering with friends. Look at this next verse on the screen. When Jesus picked the twelve, Jesus went up on a mountain side and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. The little part of this pass this 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 passage here, this verse, that just gets me is it's, it's amazing that he called them to do all the stuff, drive out demons, heal the sick. All, that's all amazing. We want to be all around that. But look at this in the middle. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Isn't that, isn't that pretty beautiful? Jesus called 12, like Jesus, the son of God. He called 12 just to be, to be with him. Just, I just want you to be with me. And out of just that witness, we're going, to, we're going to do some stuff. But Jesus called 12 to be, to be with him. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we, we see the, the disciples doing the stuff, but we also see Jesus saying, let's go on a boat ride. Let's go and sit on the mountaintop. Let's go and rest. Jesus wanted people with him. Jesus wanted meaningful friendship in relationship in his life. I could give you loads of examples, but I'm going to jump to the end of Jesus' life in the next verse on the screen, near the end, Matthew chapter 26, just before Jesus is to go to the cross. This is Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Isn't this a stunning act of vulnerability? Have you ever been in a tough place, like a really tough place in your life, and you just need somebody to be with you in it? Just stay here. Just be. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, the one that obviously never sinned, the perfect. All of those things are no less true. And yet, in the fullness of humanity, of his humanity, he's like, guys, will you just be here with me? I'm going through something here that feels like it's going to crush me on the inside. Would you just stay here? Would you just be? 
mind. You just, it's, the, it's the power of presence. It's the power of embodied presence, just being with people as they journey through the joys and the sorrows of life. And I, I just find that really, really emotional, really remarkable, actually, that, that Jesus needed. Now, the, the reality is they weren't that good because they all fell asleep. But that's beside the point. In some ways, Jesus wanted it. Jesus desired it. And, and I think it speaks to those of us. This, this might provoke some of us, but say it with gentleness. It speaks to those of us who think we don't need anybody else in our lives. It speaks to those of us who have put up that kind of protective barrier and got a little bit independent in our spirits because we can get through life on our own because we proved it before and we'll prove it again. And Jesus, who was going to get through what nobody else was ever, ever going to endure in his moments of greatest weakness, he was able to say, stay here, pray with me, just be. Don't need your answers. Don't need your theology at this particular point. Don't need your opinions. Don't need you, know, you to fix it for it. I just need you to be here. And that's the power of the relationships and friendships that Jesus asked for in his own life. And I think that provides a model for us in our lives. And so Jesus, Jesus was doing all this. I hope you're getting the picture. Jesus valued relationships. Because first and foremost, as a human being, he was showing us that humanity cannot flourish in an isolated form. That, that's why, you know, when people are put in prison, you know, isolation is one of the worst forms, isn't it, of punishment. You just go crazy when you're not connected to others. That's why this period that we've lived through, when we talk about isolation, is, is so awful. It's so counter what, what the kingdom of God is all about, and yet we've had, we've had to try and navigate as best as we can. Because Jesus was showing us that the way that we ultimately flourish is in the right kind of relationships and connections in our lives. But he was also doing it because he was giving us a foretaste of this. <laughs> the church. He was giving us a foretaste of how it could work that the kingdom family that he was, he was uh, fostering and building on the earth, of which the disciples were the forerunners of, that how this was, this was, this was going to become the church. The kingdom family was going to become a foretaste of what we see in Acts and what would, all, what would live on for centuries and centuries after that. And so Jesus was saying, I'm not just calling you to friendship with myself, but through that I'm calling you into my family. So that's why it doesn't really make sense. I say this with all the grace and gentleness in the world, but it doesn't really make sense to call yourself a Christian and not believe in church or not believe in local church or not to believe in the value of it. Because, you know, it, it, you're not really, it's not, you're not, you're not built to be able to thrive and survive as a human, never mind a Christian, when you don't have that level of community. And Jesus was, Jesus was showing the disciples this, and Jesus was, he was teaching the disciples it, but he was showing it in his own life. And that's what we see in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2 when we see the early church. And actually, just before, just before I, I, I jumped to, to that, you know, even on the cross, I don't know if you know that story. Even on the cross, Jesus is hanging on the cross, bearing the sins of the world on his shoulders, carrying the brokenness and pain of the world and the physical torture that he's going through in those moments. And even in that moment, he looks down and he sees his own mom. And what does he say to her? He looks at John the apostle and he says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your, your mother. Take her into your house now. Mom, you take him into your heart now. It's, it's just beautiful, isn't it? It's the kingdom family. 
Jesus is always trying to cultivate that kind of family. And that's what we want to be as a church. We want to be about the mission of God, but we don't want to do it in any way that's not family because it doesn't make sense if we do because it's not the church then. It's some other thing. It's an organization. It's a corporation. It's a, something else, but it's not the church because primarily the church is the family of God. And so when we see this expressed in Acts chapter 2, what we're actually seeing is we're seeing like a colony of the Trinity <laughs> expressed on the earth, a little colony of heaven on the earth, the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit extended by the Spirit in all of them, bound together as one family. And uh, that's just the most stunning reality. And it's against that whole backdrop that I want to come back to the question now and just take five more minutes or so to help us get really practical. And then I'm going to leave just five minutes for us to reflect on this this morning before we finish. So back to our question then, with all of this in mind, what are the core relationships that you need in this season of life to support you in your journey to Christlikeness? How can, how can we think about this more and more? So, so let's think about Jesus again for a wee moment, okay, as we think, as we think really practical about this, right? Because here's the thing. I, I know we're all busy, right? I know we're all busy. I know, like, when we do some of this, like, how are we going to fit this into our lives? So don't feel the pressure of that because we want to make it work for you. At the same time, what I would say is Jesus, right, <laughs> had a pretty big assignment, okay, he, he was carrying quite a lot on his shoulders, wasn't he? And yet he, he found a way to have friendship and relationship in his life in such a way to help them to thrive and flourish. And so it tells us, uh, as we look at Jesus, now this is just a little practical way for us to think about our own friendships. Jesus had that one-on-one, didn't he? He had, he had the relationship with the one, which we talked about last week. He, he modeled intimacy with the Father. So we're not going to talk about that anymore tomorrow or today because we talked about that last week. But you understand how fundamental that is. Then, then he had a group of three, right? So he had, he had some people in his life. It doesn't necessarily have to be three for you. It could be one other person. It could be a couple of other people. But he had, he had a principle of a core group of people who were his closest friends. Like, they had deepest level of trust with those people. There was transparency. There was accountability. He, 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 he invited them right into the sort of inner sanctum of his life. And I, I think in life we need a couple of people who, who know us like nobody else knows us. And if, if you don't have that, I can understand maybe why. Because our circumstances haven't necessarily allowed that to be the case. But I would pray, I would pray for that. And we pray that the Lord, because I think the Lord is into like kindred relationships, like Holy Spirit knitted relationships together. And that might be something that's new that comes into your life, or it might be historical, really strong relationships that you've had. And obviously, a way to start that or move towards that is our, is our life groups in church, because we want to create that kind of a culture. Then, then Jesus had a wider orbit of friends, didn't he? He had, he had 12, of which the three were part of. And he, he did life, they kind of hung out with these 12. They, they were people who shared his values and partnered with him in the kingdom. So who, who are those people in our lives that, you know, that, that, that we just want to prioritize in our lives because we, we get one another, you know, maybe our families connect together, we, we partner through life together. We, we, we want to prioritize being in one another's lives and growing together. 
And, and then, then there was the 72 sort of plus. So Jesus sent out the 72. But even more than the 72, Jesus recognized the need to be with a wider body of people. So he, he, he had his three, he had the 12. And then, and then he knew that even beyond that, there was moments where he needed to be in the synagogue. He needed to be at church, basically. He needed to be in the local community, his local kind of faith community. He needed that. And then finally, I think it's really important to say that Jesus really prioritized the marginalized. He, he went out of his way to ensure that there was space in his life to be interrupted, if you like, in order to go and be with the poor and the broken and the lonely. And, and so I'm not saying you, you, you need specifically three or specifically 12. I'm just trying to use that as the orbits of spheres that Jesus had of friendship and meaningful relationship in his life for you to think about what that might look like in your life. Where are there some gaps there maybe? Where does the Spirit kind of want to speak and draw people into our lives? And then, and then how do we order our lives in such a way to do that? Another way to think about it maybe more simply is, is who, who in your life do you look up to? Is there one or two people that you just look up to and you know, you just realize they're important in, in your life. They're further maybe down the journey to you. And, 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 and you, you just love the thought, maybe you're already doing this, but you just love the thought of taking them out for a coffee and sitting at their feet and just talking and asking the Lord this. Just, just, just learn from them, glean from them. Then who do you look into the eye of? Who, who's in your life that, that you can look into one another's eyes and ask some tough questions? They're the kind of people you can just be yourself with. They see you and they know your warts and all. You don't have to pretend in front of them. You don't have to try and be something that you're not. You know, they see you at your worst and they see you at your best. And you just, you just, do, you just do friendship and life together, but you, you're accountable and you, you, you bring one another on. And then who do you pour your life into? Is there, is, there, is there one or two people that you just like, God, you know what? I'm probably not going to get fully back from this relationship. Maybe what I give into it. But for me, it's really important that um, I continue to... Invest in this person because it's like it's like being like Jesus, and so I, I want you to I want you to think about those three questions as well. And then I suppose with all of that, it's like how do, how do I actually order my life in such a way to allow time for these relationships? Okay, and so I'm going to finish off by saying uh, what we'd love you to do is I'm going to just we're going to finish here in a minute or two, but I'd just love to give. Well, what I'd love to do is love to take five minutes and then we're done. Okay, and I would love you to think about. What does that begin to look like in your life? So really quickly, I hate this part showing you mine, but it's just to kind of provoke some of your thoughts. So for, for me, I, I try to think about, like, how can I, you know, Rachel's not here to hold me to this today, so that's why I've got that. But we have, like, one, one, one date night a month. Like, we have some, and it doesn't mean, like, I have to go out and have a big, nice meal all the time. That's great when it can happen. It might just be, like, prioritizing some time in the house to have a conversation where we connect on some things that we need to, to cherish one another, to hear one another's hearts a little bit more. So that's significant. Different connections with my kids have become increasingly important, particularly as they get older, as I think about some activities that help me connect with them and making sure I try to put space into that. We try to do a weekly family devotion. I said in the first service, please don't think that that's like lovely and calm and serene and there's angels all the time. A lot of the time I'm shouting, telling people to keep quiet, threatening people that they're going to bed if they don't like say the Lord's Prayer or something like that, right? But anyway, it's not, it's not nice and like, but, but we keep doing it because you get certain moments if you keep doing it that you treasure forever 
you get certain moments when one of your kids prays or one of your, you know, or you get, you get the prayer together. That's just beautiful. So we, we try to do that. I meet my dad once a month that's re- or once a week. That's really important to me. And I think to him, um, uh, it's good for our souls. Um, um, we, I'm committed to life groups on, on bi-weekly kind of alternate weeks. We, I, I have, and then I have sort of 12. There's, there, there's not specifically 12, but people that represent that kind of people that champion me and I want to champion them, people that, that we're kind of walking in life together. We hang out together and do life because we share our values. And there's a few people I mentor, and so I try to give them time once a month to go for a walk or be in their lives. I'm, I'm really not that together. And so I, I, need, I need to speak to like a, a counselor or a life coach of some description to try and do that once or twice a year just to, just to talk to them, sit at their feet, let them listen to me and, and, and get some input. That's, that's a meaningful thing for me that helps form my soul. I'm committed to this, the church. And then, and then I want to prioritize my, my own Christian friends, people that don't know Jesus and want to be in their lives. And I want to make sure that I have space for that. And so I could get more specific on that, but I don't want to because I want you to think about what this may be for your life. And so as we look at the quadrant again, Johnny, just to get super, super practical, what I, what I would love you to do is just to take five minutes here. If you've got your phone with you, I think we might have some of the little quadrants. I'll try and find them here and give them out if you'd like one. But I'd just love to take five minutes, and Johnny's going to put some music on, and then I'm going to pray. And if you're sitting beside somebody who's one of your, a family member or spouse or something, and you want to have a chat about this while the music's on, I just want you to think, just to make the point to get super practical about this, what are, what are some of the ways you can integrate friendship, meaning relationship, into your life? What's important to you? Who's important to you? And, uh, and how do you need to maybe make some decisions to value that, okay? So let's just take a few moments, and then I'm, I'm going to pray and ref- as, we, as we finish off. Okay, I don't uh, want to honor the time, um, but I wanted to be quite deliberate about that because we want to think how we can be practical about it. Just a few a few kind of caveats as it close off. There's there's no perfect kind of way to do this, okay? Um, so don't be attaining something that, you know, is be, in, in some ways beyond yourself. Just invite the Holy Spirit to help you think this through. What we're trying to do is just provoke some thoughts because the Bible says to redeem the time because the days are evil. So how, how do we redeem the time and, re, you know, so that we're using it in the way, the best way possible so we can grow into Christ-likeness and how important relationships are in that. Fa- family, what I want to say to you is think about your own family because your own personal family is where that sense of responsibility starts. But crucially, don't think about your own family at the expense of being involved and connected to the local church. Don't choose one or the other. That's the way the enemy wants to kind of divide us. But actually how we draw each other into that becomes really, really important, okay? So they're not in competition with one another. Our family should find family in the bigger family of God, okay? And so just think about that. Take into account the things that are going on in your life at the moment. You know, there might be things in this particular season of life that you need to bear in mind that might 
hinder you a little bit, but are understandably. So it's in the first service, Robbie here, he's just about to have twins. You know, I can't see him gallivanting around, uh, around in loads of relationships at the moment. Or maybe you've got like aging parents at the moment that need time and attention. Take all those things in the, the season of life that you're in or things going on with kids. But even think about this with your kids. It's good, it's good for them to think about how do I prioritize the relationships in my life that are going to enhance my understanding of Christ and walking in Christ-likeness. While at the same time, how can we you know, prioritize the lost and, uh, and be in their lives as well? And, and then finally, just say, you know, try to make sure that you at least have somebody in your life that you're praying with, somebody else. Partnering together in prayer is a, is a really, really powerful thing. And um, I know some of us are maybe early in our faith, and that seems quite daunting. But I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage for that as you walk further in the All right? That's, that's us for this morning. Let me pray a blessing over us, can I? And, uh, and please, you know, take... The, the idea is, by the way, those little sheets are in your phone. In, in two weeks' time, we're going to have a specific nice card printed out of the four quadrants so you can kind of do like a final version of this. So we're just kind of building towards it every week and allowing you to kind of note thoughts and scribble thoughts as we reflect on each week with the hope to crafting something that works for you at the end of it. So Holy Spirit, I just pray your blessing upon us today. Thank you that your presence has been here. Thank you for, for who you are, God, that you are, you are love, God. You don't just do love, but you are love. And I thank you that you are family, you are relationship, and you've created us in your image for relationship. And through Jesus, we can come into relationship with you and into kingdom relationships with others. And I just want to pray that your spirit would bind us and knit us together. Give us wisdom as we think this through and apply it to our own lives. And God, I just pray if there's anyone here this morning that just, Lord, is, is hearing some of the words today. Some of it maybe doesn't make sense, but some of it maybe is just pr- pricking their thoughts around what it would be like to be in relationship with you, what it would be like to give their lives to you in order to become part of your family. God, I pray that you would just give them grace this morning to say yes to you and to come into relationship and friendship with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. It's great to see you. There's no rush away. If you'd like us to pray for you or chat any more about that, we'd be very open to doing that. Have a great week.